and welcome to a very special bonus prestige episode of We Bought a Mic. Had to get it to you before Turkey Day. We mm. bought a gabagool. And my name is Ernst. Hey, yeah, we got the, the podcast. Uh, my name is House of Mobley. Okay. All right. We're talking. I could have tried harder and I won't. I refuse to. The new film from Mr. Ridley Scott, The King. Uh, and some other things, too. We just wanted to kind of take the time here. I know we keep promising that we're going to get back to our Robin Williams series. But guys, Drew he has joined the Fremen. Well, the he problem so has he, been chosen by the Benny Jesuit and he his path leads into the desert. I don't know what to tell you. His path leads into the desert. He accidentally went to we kept telling him that we are recording from the uh, the villa in Milan. And instead, he went to the villa in Dune. Um <laughs> And so it's a common mistake. It happens more than you would expect. But unfortunately, because of that, he is not here. He is at the wrong, the wrong penthouse. He's so he is still very, very spice pilled. And over here, we're very, very Italian pilled. Mm -hmm. I just I love Italian Americans like Chris Pratt. They exist. Mm -hmm. They are real. They're noticed. And buddy, you better be ready for it. Because like, I don't know if the world is ready. I'm just so happy that we live in a time in which we can just say like, hey, Italians exist. We're going to see films about good Italians. Yeah, this is this is a sex positive podcast. Mm -hmm. Italian positive podcast, <laughs> a, a spaghetti positive podcast. Before we get to the big one, the House of Gucci, um, we have a couple things that we want to talk about here so first up succession mm -hmm. it's back season three uh i think this deserves like its own deep dive episode like we did with season two mm. um but let's check in the the what's the state of things here with succession i uh want to get your take on it i mean obviously we're big fans but this is like a covid season you know they had to film this all during the pandemic so did that impact it can you tell is the quality low What's season three like so far? So I will say that um, I I won't say that you can feel that this is a COVID season. It's definitely like a little bit pared back. And because of that, it's not it hasn't quite had the fireworks of season two. Season two just has like some absolute all timer TV moments of just episodes that are burned in my brain. But I still really, really love this season. I mean, I just I love the show, like especially now that we have had two and a half seasons worth of episodes, these characters fully know who they are, especially Sarah Snook and Kira Culkin as Shiv and um, Roman, their dynamic together. They're actually getting more of a chance to thrive because of the ending of season two, kind of putting Ken out on his own. You're seeing more of these two really like spreading their wings. Same goes for Matthew McFadden as Tom, Low um, which, the MVP, I think. Whew, man, love to see it. Um, I think the, it's done the same thing that we praised, uh, at the very onset of this podcast, a show like halt and catch fire for doing, which is every season. It kind of resets itself a bit. And then it, 
tries to put the pieces back together as the show goes along. And therefore, every season has kind of this upward trajectory to it. And now after watching episode five and episode six, which have just aired, that's where we're on the path of like it's this season's already getting better and better from episode to episode. I'm glad you you're comparing it to Halt because I think to me personally, my biggest takeaway from that show is just the characters. Mm -hmm. It's a show about the vibes. And that's why I watch Succession. I don't care about (laughs) the fucking DOJ or the proxy war. Like all of these plot machinations are secondary to just like the best writing and acting on TV every week. And I feel like for the most part, you know, obviously, like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if you're watching this show and you're like trying to figure out like, okay, so Adrian Brody is like an investor that's going to play a big part in the vote. You're like, what happened to his 3% shares? Yeah. Like that's, you're not watching the show the right way. In my opinion, you know, I'm not the, 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 the judge jury executioner on this matter, but I feel like this show is it's just about like, let's watch these actors cook. Let's give them crazy zingers. Let's give them deeply tragic, uh, dramatic moments that are not tied to like an overall plot. Like, is Tom going to go to prison? Maybe. Probably not. But the the sadness in his voice every time he like brings it up <laughs> it's glorious yeah it's like some it's a beautiful melancholy that matthew McFadden does on this show um you know so my my wife um was watching this most recent episode with me she came home uh just while i had it on I was like oh yeah no just sit down she's never seen an episode of the show before and the beautiful thing about the show is she had no idea what was happening, like story wise or anything like that. But uh, it was it was something that that uh, Kieran Culkin said about uh, talking about one of the uh, politicians that's in this is just like this tip talk fuckery and something something about the way that he said it that had her fucking dying. And she was like, this is like the funniest shit that I've ever seen yeah. in my life. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's it's Adam McKay and Will Ferrell are the EPs. And you can kind of feel the bones of their sense of humor and their style in the show. But the beautiful thing is that it's evolved into just a beast all of its own. The whole cast, man. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like Brian Cox is just, you know kind of the goat but like everybody is up up there on that level with him you know he's like this titan he's this force you know obviously it's like he can't get knocked down but i think kendall jeremy strong is giving a tremendous performance Mm i i mean across the board everybody you know you brought up kieran culkin he obviously gets like a lot of the funny moments you know pretty much every beat he has is a comedic beat but there's also tragedy there, too. And that's like oh, yeah. what this show rides on is like that high wire act. That's what I keep thinking about is like the deep, tragic sadness and the insanely zany, wacky comedy. Mm-hmm. And it does both gloriously. And now we're in season three. And like you said earlier, like all these people, like they know their characters so well and we know them so well that we are in this groove where like we know what to expect from everybody. And we are longing for all these moments, 
and we get them. And it's so satisfying when they do, but also they're playing around with things a little bit. And there's like this line in the sand that's been drawn and you're kind of seeing like, okay, who's on Ken's side, who's on Logan's side. And there's this whole dynamic of like, who's playing who. And at the end of the day, like, again, from a plot perspective, I don't really care like who's on whose side, but from a character perspective, the idea of these people just trying so hard to have a human connection with each other and being so unable to even come close (laughs) is so crazy to watch. It's so entertaining. They're spiraling. They don't know like how to behave like a real person at all. And I just can't get enough of it. It's it's so good. <laughs> I think I mean just exactly the point that you're hitting on like really reached a peak in this last episode where um minor spoilers I won't go into the actual mechanics of the episode but essentially the Roy family goes to a a house a party where they decide who the Republican candidate will be for for presidency that they don't like that it's not it doesn't matter what the voters want or what the rnc wants it's decided by like a few rich heads in a room which is kind of just really like putting their thumb on exactly like kind of the anxieties about the political system but also doing it in such a self-aware way to the point where all of the characters are completely lacking a sense of self-awareness and and it's a biting commentary on trump and our our fucking failed political system it is but like it doesn't the beautiful thing about the show is that it's never preachy in any ways it's never trying to give you any politics it's not making a big statement it keeps vibe first and foremost but it's just like hey we're gonna have roman like have some weird sexual chemistry with a nazi like who knows (laughs) what's gonna happen here it's great. It's great. And I think, you know, to this episode specifically, I think it is an important episode in the grand scheme of things because, yeah, they're picking the president. Like, that's a big deal. That's a big deal in the world. If this guy, this character becomes the president and now he's a figure in the world of the show, this is going to be a big episode in the whole arc of the entire story. Mm-hmm. The fact that they can pick this guy and now if he's going to become the president, like, that's a big ripple effect. So I like that the show is going here and I, I like that it took its time to wait until season three to make a move like this. So I'm loving it so far. I think that, you know, the other episodes have all been stellar. It's just really, really great to watch the ups and downs of this this feud in the family with Kendall and Logan. The Adrian Brody episode was so good. Oh, that so one good. was Oh, amazing. Just, I love Adrian Brody. I, yeah. Perfect <laughs> use of him. The layers. <laughs> Man. <laughs> so good. I just, we, we preached the, the, we sang the praises of Adrian Brody on the last episode and just can't do it enough. I'm ready for the Adrian Brody comeback tour. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we'll see him again. I know next week we're getting Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. Um, dude, next week it's it's a uh, Kendall's 40th birthday yeah gonna it's gonna some- <laughs> well so it's been a they were like teasing it I think the last two episodes yeah, about his the big 4-0 <laughs> talking about who he's gonna get who who's gonna DJ his birthday <laughs> party um yeah no I this is what this this season needed a uh 
a party episode like what was it was that hostel that they went or uh, uh that they went to tom's last- um was it tom's um uh bachelor party yeah <laughs> where he like eats his own cum yeah like dude she spit my cum in my mouth it was so hot <laughs> this show's the best it was funny watching this with um with gaia as she was just like you know roman had like some funny laughs and then it was just like had this like weird bathroom moment with a uh senator she was like who is this character i was like well you know he's kind of like the forgotten son but also he does have like bad mommy issues and like he needs to be degraded by a woman in order to actually orgasm she was like is this the greatest show ever made and i was like yes yes it is yeah. it actually 100 percent is i fucking love it <laughs> we'll we'll definitely check back in it when the season wraps up we're in the the rounding uh the second half here so it's i mean it's gonna pop up on our end of year too so we'll be talking about it more uh succession let's move on to king richard uh also an hbo max joint but also in theaters so this is one of those uh hbo max and in theaters uh co-releases that they did and it's interesting because i think this is uh, well maybe with the exception of dune the first like prestige oscar one of these uh, mm-hmm. we, we might get I don't know how many more of these we're going to get. I know Matrix is the next one. Matrix four. Um, but it's interesting that like they, you know, they just have a big Oscar contender. Boom. Right there on HBO Max right now. This is the Serena Venus Williams uh, story. Um, basically, their father is uh, uh, the uh, titular King Richard Williams, played by Mr. Will Smith. And. It's a movie I've seen. You haven't seen it. I have not seen it. Um, I almost uh, saw it last weekend, but timing didn't work. I really wanted to see it in a theater. Um, I think you might get more out of it in the theater than I got out of it at home. Um, I didn't hate it. I thought it was actually really good. I think Will is really, really fucking good. He's given it his all. He's capital R running. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He, he, wants, is, he is dead sprinting. Yeah. He wants his little gold man. And I don't know, man. I think he might get it. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about another movie in a little bit that might contend with it. Um, Well, maybe a couple a couple contentions in yeah. this podcast. We'll see. We're in Oscar season, baby. Let's um, go. <laughs> but um, I don't know. There's also Denzel coming in hot with mm-hmm. Macbeth. So, you know, he might have some competition, but I mean, People love Will Smith. He doesn't have his Oscar yet. He's really good in this movie. It's he's playing a real person that was a public figure when these girls were growing up. And he was like very vocal about like, you know, kind of shepherding their career as they were, you know, becoming these tennis superstars. Mm -hmm. And he brings a lot of energy into this role that. It, it works, you know, it works because obviously like a lot of people know the real guy. I didn't really follow this. You know, we were very young when this was happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe we weren't even born when the beginning of this was happening. But, you know, I, I didn't know the details of the story. And it was really cool to find out like how the, the kind of human angle from it, um, not just like the telephone game of a story like yeah. this. Um, so I got a lot of it in, in that sense and in, in the sense of like, okay, who was this guy really? Obviously it's a movie. So you're not getting like the full on, like raw documentary take on it. It's still a performance, but 
I felt like I got as close as you could get with something like this. This still has to do the sports movie thing and the biopic thing. I didn't feel like it got lost in the weeds at all. Um, I am curious. Is this more of a sports movie or more of a biopic? Or does it kind of ride the line between both? It's tough. I don't I don't I don't think it if you're going to put it in the biopic camp, then it ends up being a really damn good one because it doesn't try to do this really long story. Mm. It's literally just about these two very specific periods of time when Venus and Serena first got kind of noticed by professional tennis. That kind of like early period, you know, it's not them being born. It's not them like being raised. It's like this this very specific period where they started they were started to compete and then get picked up by, you know, professional tennis. Mm -hmm. And it's actually more of a Venus movie than a Serena movie, which is interesting Hmm. because like now we know Serena is like the goat, you know, the full goat. Um, so it's interesting to see, like, is there a King Richard two in the <laughs> pipeline where we see a little more Serena? Um, but uh, but no, I, I do think that in in the sense of the biopic versus sports movie, it does end up being a little bit more sports movie just because the tennis is really good. Like yep. the way they shoot it and edit it, like the energy is there. I don't know if the these actresses that they got um, who are really good, by the way, uh, are actual tennis players but if there's trickery involved it's very very seamless um because there's some moments where it's just like oh man they're really they're really going back and forth there they're not cutting around they're just like letting the camera sit while this tennis match is happening um so you know i i think there's probably better sports movies out there that do the sports movie thing um but this one also has to do the biopic thing. So it kind of, you know, it straddles both pretty well, I'll say. Um, I don't know if this is one of the best movies of the year. I know it might like try to compete for like best picture and things like that. Uh, probably will, you know, scoop up some nominations. Um, I mean, important to note that this year the Academy is set at 10 nominees. No more, no less. It's yeah, it's going to be exactly 10 nominees. So there might be room for this where there wasn't otherwise. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll get the nom. I'm, I will say I'm pretty excited to see this movie. Like I, uh, I mean, our generation doesn't really know it as much, but the better analogy for this is, and I know you're not the biggest sport ball head. I am, world, a, I am a big tennis head though. You, I, I know. Well, you are more into tennis than I am, but um, Richard Williams is like the original LeVar ball for people who don't know the ball brothers um, are currently in the NBA, Lamar and LaMelo. And before they ever even became anything, you just knew about their dad, LeVar ball, because he was on ESPN all the time talking about how he had two LeBron James as his sons and like was just everywhere and would not shut the fuck up. And everybody hated this dude. But like he was he like started a whole like big baller brand and tried to make his own (laughs) basketball association like he's just one of those dudes. And Richard Williams was like that to a whole nother level. Like I know I've just read the stories of him, not all of them favorable, 
of no. Richard Williams, which is why I was kind of interested to see how deep the movie is going to go into that about this whole like it's almost like there's a little bit of whiplash to uh, Richard Williams story of like, I'm going to make you be great because I'm oh, going to yeah, push Jamie you to Giselle, the level. Yeah. Uh, whiplash. Yeah. Yeah. I yes, there is a lot of that. And I think the movie, it honestly does a really great job at like telling the story in a way where you still root for this guy mm. and you still feel for his like parental, you know, fatherly like connection to these girls. And you can see how it can be a little shitty, you know, for him to be like so involved in their careers and trying to push and push and push. It's not the best look, but the movie doesn't like it it's it's not that it doesn't pick a side necessarily it just presents both sides of the argument equally well mm. so you see how he's very demanding and very tough and you know intense but also you see how he's protective and how he has their best interests in mind and doesn't want to see these two girls because they're what, like 14 as this is going on and they're getting all this attention. Mm. He doesn't want them to be swept up in the madness of fame and fortune and professional sports. So there is this nuance to it that I think the movie manages to explore really, really well. I think the reason why I'm not as high on it is just because the movie's really long. It's like two and a half hours long. And we're going to talk about a little movie later that's also in that two and a half plus hour range that personally I didn't feel the length of. I don't think you did either. But this one I did feel the length of. Mm. Not, Not to a crippling degree though because i put it on pretty late at night and i was like eh, i'll just watch the first 45 minutes ended up watching the whole thing so there's there's a a, a props to the movie you know that it, it kept me the whole time but the structure of it is very odd because it kind of it kind of is two movies in one it's the first it's the movie with the first coach because it's it's Richard Williams trying to break into this world of like country club tennis and trying to find some type of like acclaimed coach that has worked with professional athletes to coach them. That's a movie. And then John Berthold enters the chat <laughs> in booty shorts. Hell yeah. And that's a whole nother movie of the other coach, um, Rick Matchy who is the one who actually propels them to professional tennis and really like stewards that. Um, so it kind of, it feels like it just does the same thing twice. Like it's, it just kind of mm -hmm. plays a lot of the same beats again. And I wish that they could have found a way around that. I don't know. It, it, it seemed like it was kind of like kind of looping back on itself in a weird way. Um, so that's kind of why I'm not like as high on it. But you mentioned um, our boy Barenthal. And I want to ask because he was in a movie that was the biggest dad movie of the year two years ago. Is this in the contention for dad movie of the year? You're talking about Ford v. Ferrari? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I think this, when we're talking big dad energy, when we're talking Wabamis, I think this is definitely in the conversation. Okay. Yeah, for sure. For I sure. Mean, dads love sports movies. Dads love uh, Will Smith at this point. I mean, what what is the competition so far? Uh, I'm looking at my oh, wait, list right there now. There was a um, I know there was a, a really good no time movie. to die. No James Bond. Die, uh, what was there was a That's really a big dad movie. Uh, what was the one? Let me look at my list real quick. I know that there was one that was uh, nobody's uh, pretty good dad movie. Yes. Nobody. Nobody's uh, nobody's a great. OK. Dad OK. Movie. No, that nobody has to have the 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 title right now. I, I I think no nobody's a better movie than King Richard, but there might be more dads that are into King Richard in a weird way. I don't know. King Richard, it feels like the kind of movie that can like please the most types of audiences possible. It's very like, mm. you know, kind of a broad appeal movie, which is unfortunate that it's not doing too well at the box office. I'm curious to see what the max numbers are like, because this kind of bombed a little bit. Um, it's not it's not doing too well. Um, so yeah, Bernthal's great. I wish he was in the movie more. It takes like way too long to get to him. Like an entire movie plays out before we get to him. I wish mm-hmm. that he came in, uh, earlier, but you're really here for Will Smith. It's the Will Smith show. He's excellent in the movie. He really disappears into the role. And for that, it's, it's hundred percent worth watching. I, I am just a little bit worried. Again, I haven't seen this movie, so I can't like attest to its quality or to Will Smith's performance. But I am a little bit worried that that this movie might come out a little bit too soon for Will. That voters might forget him. Ooh, this happens. There's always like one or two every year. It's that people, November. That, Are that we people sure? Lock it in. They're like, "Yep, this is it. It's time. We're gonna give him the award." And then like four months go by yeah, remember the, the oscars are end of march, march yeah which is fucking stupid they need to please put that back to february like please please i cannot have it be pushing april mm. and we're still waiting for the academy awards absolutely not that's tough that's a good point i hope i mean i really hope not because i love will smith as much as i voted against him and i rallied against him in our um in our bracket our 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 series bracket yeah. i you know i'd love it for will i would love for fun. him to win uh, and there's been this weird trend lately i guess maybe you know this better than i do but the best actor oscar and i guess best actress too just tends to go to so many fucking biopics like yes we just, yes that's i mean ridiculous. this checks all the boxes of it's an actor who we've seen at a young age we've seen him at his peak and then we've seen him as lowest lows and now he's coming back and yeah. this is his it's time it's a biopic of a historical figure important historical figure this checks all of the boxes i think that's why i mean if there is going to be a layup this seems like the layup so far I think I think he's worthy. I I will also shout out the the girls. Um, we got Demi Singleton as Serena and Sania Sydney as Venus. They're great. If they're actually playing tennis, holy shit, they're really good. Do they look like twins? Um, yeah. I mean, there's enough differences there because Venus and Serena aren't identical. So they're yeah. I I don't think they're twins. I think one of them's older. Yeah, I mean, is it? 
Isn't uh, Venus is older, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, Venus is yeah. slightly older. Yeah, they're also sisters. That's what I meant, not twins. Th- there's um, there's a lot of other girls in this family, which I also didn't know. This is, they were raising a, a family of like five girls. Um, so I'll also mention um, Anjanae Ellis as Brandy Williams. Um, she has like an Oscar scene herself, so I could see her getting nominated too. Cause she has a really, really good scene with Will where she kind of like breaks the mold of like the, the wife archetype in a movie like this, where she kind of like puts him on his back a little bit and, and like puts him in his place and tells him like, Hey buddy, like this isn't the King Richard show, you know, like this is a duel and you see her coaching the girls too, you know? So you get the idea that it's like, it's not just him being this like one man with the plan. And she's just as involved in their success as he is. So I got a lot out of her as well. Um, I, I do just want to say that uh, Danny is in the chat. Uh, fact checker Danny here has just confirmed that Venus is in fact older than Serena. Yeah. By a year. That's what I thought. One year. Thank so thanks, you, Danny. Danny. Shout out to the Discord. <laughs> you can join the Discord by um, becoming a donor at anchor.fm slash we bought a mic. Um, all right. So that's King Richard. Belfast is next. Yep. Do you want to talk about another movie that's looking like a layup for awards? Movie I haven't seen yet. Um, Yep. You haven't seen it. I will say. So this movie is already kind of getting the runway laid that this is going to be the best picture winner. Um, This is Kenneth Branagh's semi-autobiographical story of growing up in Northern Ireland um, right around the time of this kind of nationalist ethnic riots that were happening in the streets of Belfast due to the schism between um, Catholics and Protestants and kind of what it was like growing up as just a child, as just a member of a family in this neighborhood in Belfast while this was all happening. Um, It's, I will say I, I ended up kind of liking this movie. I, I I found it to be somewhere between okay and pretty good. It weirdly drags for a movie that's ninety minutes, which is oh, not boy great. Um, not what you want? It's just it's something that it doesn't happen all the time. But there's just like some scenes where it's just like it goes on for like a minute and a half too long. Um, that it's just kind of Kenneth Branagh doing his Kenneth Branagh thing, which I've never been the biggest Kenneth Branagh fan in the world. There's a little bit too navel gaze. Oh, you, you oh, weren't a fan of Artemis Fowl? The uh, best movie of 2020? Well, no, I'm, everybody knows my takes on how much I love the original Thor. Um, <laughs> I love Dutch angles, man. Um, <laughs> no, so I like, you know, there's a little bit of navel gazing that happens with a lot of his films that I'm not the biggest fan of um, a lot of winking at the camera that goes on that is you know sometimes it's more effective than others is what I'll say uh, I will say man knows how to fucking hold a camera and make things beautiful if anything he is I would say he's a lock for best director at this point like an absolute go ahead call it in right now this is a lock no um, Dutch angles in this one there's a couple but not not too many <laughs> Um, it's really beautiful. It's primarily black and white, uh, with some like noticeable touches of color at certain scenes. There's one scene where like he goes to a theater and it's completely black and white everywhere. And he's watching like 
a Christmas carol on stage and suddenly that's just the only thing that's in full color. Almost like it's him developing a love for theater and movies oh. as a small boy. Oh. Yeah, you know. Um, again, sometimes it works better than others. It's kind of weirdly funny, which I was not expecting for this movie. Uh, yeah, it, he picked that up from uh, his time directing Josh Gad in the film Artemis Fowl. Man, you really you really love Artemis Fowl, <laughs> don't you? Must be a big fan. Um, shout out to Sierra and Hines, who is just a legend. Always love this dude. Um, of yeah. course, he's in the Harry Potter movies. Uh, there will be blood. He's kind of just been a character actor. Who's he popped been around up in Game of stuff. Thrones a little bit. Yeah, Game of Thrones. He's just kind of been around um, forever. For the most part, I didn't really recognize a lot of this cast. Oh, Judy Dench is in here as the granny. They play the granny and the the grandpa, Sierra and Hines and Judy Dench. They're really great. You know the what little- movie uh, Judy Dench was also in? Artemis Fowl. Is that where he did all that relationship with with Dame Judy Dench on <laughs> the sets of Artemis Fowl? It's like, hey, Judy, just do me a solid, and then you can be in my passion project. Um, I will say the MVP of this movie, if it's not Kenneth Branagh, is the guy who play the kid who plays the lead, Jude Hill. Um who plays buddy he's excellent it truly is like one of those special kid actor performances where i would not be shocked if he did get a nomination if it was like there's seven people in the pool and he's one of them and it's like the shocking thing of when they're making the oscar nomination it's like oh my god the kid from the yeah, kid from like, belfast like got when nominated the the lady from roma got nominated yeah elizia aparizio um which so I'm glad you brought up Roma because that is the movie that is obviously being compared to this one the most. It's a black and white film made by an auteur where people say it's time. It's black and white. It's a passion project about their youth. Um, Roma is a dramatically better film than this, which yeah. I think people probably could have guessed that one of them is like a very unique story about a tale that isn't often told. At the end of the day, this is just kind of a story about it's kind of just a by the numbers coming of age story. So which, it so it doesn't harp on like the political unrest too much. A little bit. Like very it it so it's mostly takes place from Jude Hill's perspective, from the kind of child viewpoint of like I don't understand why this there's so much unrest and kind of going back and forth between this idea of wanting to stay because this is home and like wanting to stay where you belong, where you know everyone, where this is where your roots are, where your family is, where your friends are, and this need to escape, this need to flee from Northern Ireland, this need to spread your wings and grow as a person outside the confines of your family and your friends. And I think that when the movie is doing that, and kind of wrestling between those two ideas, that's when the movie thrives. That kind of, because it doesn't ever really come down clear-sighted on one or the other, like one is necessarily better than the other. It's for the people who go and the people who stay behind. It's for both of them. And in that respect, I think that the movie does sing really well. I don't know if you can kind of hear it in my voice, but I feel like I'm having to... I feel like I'm having to put reservations on everything that I do like about this movie. Cause the thing is, if this movie just came out in July and I saw it, I'd be like, 
That was a really good movie and I enjoyed it. But where my problem is that this movie is already getting the groundwork laid that this is our best picture winner. Well, okay. So and that's just, and that's not a fair thing to put on the movie. And I keep kind of grappling with that myself of is it fair for me to knock a movie because I know that it's definitely going to be nominated and it might win best picture. So I have a uh, gold derby pulled up right now. Mm-hmm. Um well before I say that Let's just think back to what you just said about King Richard. It's still very early. None of the nominees for any awards are out yet. Mm-hmm. No, nobody has given out any awards at this point. So nothing is locked, right? Right. Yeah. Things could change very, very drastically exactly. from the odds perspective right now. Right now on Gold Derby, Power of the Dog is at number one. Mm-hmm. Jane Campion's Netflix movie that comes out in about a week or two. Then Belfast. Then King Richard. Then okay. Dune. <laughs> Is the Academy spice pilled? We will see. Uh, then Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, Licorice Pizza. Nightmare Alley. Coda. West people Side really Story. love Coda, which is kind of surprising that people like it as much as they do. West Side Story and Don't Look Up. That's that's the 10 right now mm. on Gold Derby. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that last time I checked, uh, Kenneth Branagh is the favorite. I think a pretty sizable favorite for best director as well. Jane Campion is, 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 uh, first right now. Oh, Jane Campion is first. Well, now more and more critics are starting to see Power of the Dog and I'm gonna have to do a whole Jane Campion watch through before Power of the Dog comes out because I'm very excited for that one. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it's tough. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of situation before where like, it's hard to separate the movie from the talk around it. And this, oh, like, yeah. this is supposed it's to tough. be, this is supposed to be important and matter. And it's almost, I mean, this movie is better than green book, but it is a little bit of a green book effect where green book, it would be, it would have been one thing if that movie like came and went and it was like, ah, that was a fun time at the theater that now I can forget about. Mm-hmm. And then like, three months go by and <laughs> they're reading it for best picture. And you're like, wait, what the fuck happened? Like what, what happened right now that I don't want that to happen with this movie um, because it's yeah. not, it's not best picture. This isn't, this is kind of a mids movie that I've seen this year so far. And I don't watch a ton of like absolute dog shit. So comparatively, it's one of the better well-made movies, but I don't know. It's not one of my favorites. I'd say it's probably worth seeing, especially if you do care about movies and you want to be part of the conversation and everything. This movie will be a part of the conversation in the coming months. And it's not a waste of your time. It's like a hundred minutes. I, you know, there's some good performances. Heartwarming. Yeah, it's heartwarming. There's a point where the little kid is reading a comic of, and what's that comic? Thor. Oh, I thought you were going to say like a, uh, Shakespeare like novelization <laughs> graphic novel no we, don't worry there's Shakespearean play I mean, of there's gotta be you know it's Kenneth Branagh um, yeah you know I guess check it out I give a soft recommendation to it that's Belfast um, next we got Tick Tick Boom um, which I've seen and you haven't mm-hmm. um, this is the Lin-Manuel Miranda joint on Netflix right now you can watch it uh, based on a true story um, and I guess based on an actual 
play called Tick, Tick, Boom by the subject of the movie, Jonathan Larson, played by Andrew Garfield, who is another capital R running for best actor. Uh, the difference here is that Andrew Garfield is very young, has a whole career ahead of him, not the same kind of narrative that Will Smith has, but he is phenomenal in this movie. He sings, he moves, he puts on a fucking performance. My God. I don't know if the movie overall is like great because Lin-Manuel uh, hasn't directed a movie before. Um, so for a first time filmmaker, you know, he doesn't do a perfect job, but he does do some things that are interesting. There are some really good scenes here where it's just like, okay, I get you. You're doing some stuff that you're kind of bringing over from Broadway um, into, you know, the, 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 the silver screen. Um, I really like this movie. I, I, I think it, emotionally manipulated me it, it, it kind of almost does like the pixar thing where it like knows the buttons to press to make you like mm. tear up um so you know it, it is a little bit kind of manipulative but i i almost don't care just because it's like you know if if people listen they know i'm i'm kind of in the bag for musicals I'm oh, a little yeah. bit of a of a theater boy myself. It's you and me against Drew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is <laughs> this is a safe space for <laughs> Hamilton heads. <laughs> uh, I mean, come on, like Hamilton. As much as it's fun to drag it, like it's one of the most expertly created pieces of performance art ever. Like. Forget its politics, forget its bullshit, its neoliberal fucking whatever propaganda, whatever you want to call it. As a technical musical performance piece, it is top notch. Mm -hmm. So oh, for, yeah. for Lynn to like, you know, bring his talents to a movie, it's exciting. It's exciting. And and I think it it reaches a similar level. I mean, you know, obviously like Watching Hamilton on Disney Plus is not the same as watching it live. So, you know, whatever kind of experience you get from that, it's just not a one to one, um, you know, facsimile or anything like that. But this is I mean, obviously, it's adapted from a play, which I think, you know, based on this movie, it wasn't like a widely seen play. The original Tick, Tick, Boom. Mm. Um, it must have been very very limited release um because jonathan larson was struggling like he wasn't like a famous guy and spoilers for real life um but by the time he wrote rent and was ready to release it he didn't get to see it live he was dead mm -hmm. by the time rent premiered he was dead and i didn't know how he died so this movie was kind of like a weird kind of roller coaster ride in a way because I wasn't sure because this movie, uh, it deals with the AIDS epidemic, too. Right. And I thought that like that was going to play into his death some, somehow. So I was like kind of on the edge of my seat when it came to those uh, kind of subplots. Um, doesn't quite go the way you think. And I mean, you can just look up how he dies if you really want to <laughs> know. I won't spoil it on this podcast, but 
the movie kind of lets you know from the jump from the very very beginning that he didn't live to see the opening of rent of yep. the the his biggest work but it kind of backtracks to show you this other play that he was working on i think it was called like suburb sub it says uh i know what you're talking about um it's not suburbica what is something it? like that yeah um um and it's this kind of like epic sci-fi tale um that he has to workshop and that's kind of like the framing device of this movie it's interesting because it's like it's like a play within a play kind of deal you know uh and and it's you're getting this adaptation of his show because Tick, Tick, Boom was an actual, like, I guess, one man show that he did. But this movie's not a one man movie. It has this glorious cast of characters, many of them from Broadway, like Superbia. The, that's what it that's is. That's what it is. Yeah. If if you are a Broadway head, you're going to notice so many people on the margins of this cast. I noticed some familiar faces from Hamilton. Um. So, you know, it's an interesting framing device where, you, you know, you're kind of getting an adaptation of like what the the, the original Tick, Tick, Boom was. But you're also getting a uh, kind of traditional biopic, like kind of injected into it where you, you're cutting from the show to his actual life that informs the show. So it's it's an interesting swirl of a structure where you're going from the stage to his just day-to-day life, trying to grind it out in New York, working at this diner, trying to write this show. And there's this energy to the movie and the way it's it's edited and the way it's shot and the way the the music kind of you know fuels the entire experience. It's it's really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, really good. I don't know if it's going to be in my top 10 of the year. There's a lot of competition. This is a crazy, yeah. crazy heavy year. We're like not even getting like we're just now actually starting to get into the meat and potatoes of this year. too. Yeah. So it's 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 in my top 15 right now. I don't know if, if I'm going to I might do some some restructuring depending on how I feel once we get close to that time. But so I, I have a couple of questions, which is one of them is I you mentioned Hamilton, of course, is going to be the big thing that people go to is seeing this movie. Does this feel more like a movie or does it feel like a filmed play? I mean, of course, this is a, actually a movie. It's not like they're filming the stage like they are with Hamilton, but does it ever at any point feel like they're filming staging? Do you know what I there mean are, by that? There are extended sequences of film staging. Okay. But he does it in a way that you're cutting back to like this guy's life. Like in the middle of a song, you'll be seeing the song on the stage and through the song, you'll jump back and forth from the stage to this guy's life. Okay. Seamlessly. So is it, I, well, first of all, I just, is the music good? How is the music? Cause I will say, so rent is like one of my favorite musicals ever. Like I, of course I, Longtime listeners know I'm a theater boy. I, I grew up doing theater, performing theater. So Rent has always been one of my favorites. And just kind of despite the cringiness of it, I just think the music for Rent fucking rips. I've actually never seen Rent. 
Really? Yeah. So, I mean, I obvi- obviously know that that one song. Uh, Twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes. Yeah. Um. The movie Rent has, is very flawed. It's like three hours long, but I still kind of love it. Despite, also, the cast is just fucking unbelievable. It's the best cast. There, there are some banger tracks. Okay. There are some really good songs in there. Um, there's one in particular that just... It's, it's married really well with the cinematography and the choreography and just like the all the visuals. It's set in this in this diner. And it just has like that New York energy to it. It's 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 got some real highlights. Mm. But right now, sitting here, I can't recall like a single tune Ah. from it. Um, But I, you know, after I saw it, I did find myself like kind of humming along to a couple things like that later that day. Just kind of recalling back the the movie. Um, So I might kind of go through the, the soundtrack here. And uh, and see which ones kind of stick with me as like things that I would want to listen to just as a song, because I I remember really digging a couple of the numbers, Um, but that's not really what I am going to take away from this movie. It's mostly the performances. It's Andrew Garfield. It's just Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and he sings for real. Like it's it's him that you do love to see that love to see an actor actually singing. My other question was, of course, like, it's going to be the main thing that probably most people are comparing this to. How does this compare to In the Heights, the other Lin-Manuel Miranda musical that came out this year? Directed by John M. Chu. Yes. But actually, the musical itself is written by Lin. I, I think it's tough because I think Andrew Garfield's performance in this movie is better than anybody's performance in In the Heights. Mm -hmm. I think by far. And I love Anthony Ramos. I think he's a star in that movie. I think Andrew is he's he's doing some incredible work here. Like the way he strains his face as he's hitting some of these notes. My God, like it's fucking incredible. But I think I got to go in the heights personally, just overall. Mm hmm. I just remember more well, of the songs. John Chu is also like a director. Right. Like that man knows how to fucking make beautiful set pieces. Exactly. Exactly. And as as flawed as In the Heights is, because I think it is a flawed movie, I think that it just has this like soaring, uplifting quality to it. It just like lifts you up, which is what any good musical should do. Just take you into like this, you know, fantastical almost place. Mm. And Tick, Tick, Boom doesn't do that. Maybe it's not trying to do that. You know, not every movie has to do that. Not every musical has to do that. I think this maybe Lynn was trying to do something different here and and try to be more character based and more kind of nuanced when it comes to portraying this guy's life. That's probably like very, you know, held in some kind of esteem in the theater community. I will say, too, that I am kind of glad just knowing from the outside. Again, I haven't seen this movie. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing it. I wish that it was fucking playing in theaters, man. I, I wish I would have seen it in a theater, dude. Fucking Netflix. Um, But I'm glad that you are saying, because that was one of my questions I was going to ask earlier, was I'm glad that it 
doesn't sound like it is a fantastical musical because that's the kind of Jonathan Larson, one of his things with Rent. Rent is just at its core. It's about people who just like fucking are like just like broke and dying in New York City during the turn of the century. Like it's a very, very real story. It's not in the Heights is very fantastical. Most musicals in general kind of choose to go for the whimsy and the magic of fantastic worlds because that's easier to describe mm-hmm. to imagine that kind of place where people are and breaking get an out emotional the song and reaction dancing. yeah exactly it's kind of it's an easier thing to do that i will say the the number i shouted out the the diner number that's the one that does do the kind of more fantastical thing like that yeah. number it kind of does mean, you like, have elements to it but not like like something like the uh the poolside scene in mm-hmm. in the heights which is one of the best scenes in that entire Love movie it. but that would be weird if that did happen in a jonathan larson right project yeah yeah and i, I guess that just says more about me and my expectations and not like what this guy means to the community Right. Like if we had somebody on to talk about this movie, that is like a huge, huge musical theater head. Like, I don't know how deep you go with, you know, Jonathan Larson. I don't know. I mean, it's mostly rent. Like I I know of some of his other projects, but I. But I mean, for all we know, like this story might be like this legendary thing that you have to take with a certain level of seriousness because of, you know, what what. uh the subject matter that that he's working with. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I am going to mention this, like one thing that people are talking about is like, this is just like such a Twitter thing too, but I just feel like bringing it up. People are like, Jonathan Larson wasn't gay. And it's like, it, it almost feels like they're trying to make the argument that like, you can't tell a story about, the AIDS epidemic unless you're gay. And it's, <laughs> it's like, it's this weird thing that's like, I've seen on Twitter where like people are like complaining about like, why are we telling the story of like the straight white man? And why is he the center of this? And it's like, I, I hate to people even give it hate time. our guy Lynn. This is like the same. <laughs> this is in the Heights shit from what happened after that movie came out. And people wanted to talk about the colorism, yeah. which I, I get there are, parts to the argument that i do understand but you can't outright dismiss something because he did live through an aids epidemic and like he did like see friends of his die Mm -hmm. of aids people who he was close to of aids you can still have an emotional reaction to this story and guess what i was predominantly in the gay community but there was also straight people who died of aids too yeah like a lot of just it was if you lived in the inner cities during that time and were kind of a free spirit then right and this movie does a good job of like you know shining a, a spotlight on the gay community and like having people in the cast that like really embody that like the, the his best friend um michael played by robin de jesus incredible performance cool. like he's really good he's like this um uh broadway Mm-hmm. superstar he's been in he was the, in, in the heights he was in in the heights yep as sunny um and he was in a version of rent um so you know the the movie does a good job at like kind of welcoming in theater people and stage people into the 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 story and the cast 
And I'd be curious to see like kind of what the reaction of this movie is moving forward. And as people see it, I don't know if a lot of people are going to see it, but it seems like a big theater kid movie. Mm. Like this is the ultimate is theater kid. Unfortunately, movie. well, you know who wrote this movie is no? Stephen Levinson, the guy who wrote not the movie, but the play Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, boy. Um, which by all accounts, the play is uh, OK. Um, the at the time, Josh Josh Gad wasn't uh, like 38 years old when he was playing the character of Evan Hansen. So uh, no, not Josh Gad. Not Josh. Uh, um, what's his name? What's the name of that little? Um, <sighs> what's that funny feeling? Wash away. I I haven't pulled up. I haven't pulled up. Ben Platt. Ben Platt. Ben Platt. That's what it is. Um, now, how dare I put that on Josh Gad's name? <laughs> Josh Gad's beautiful name. Yeah. Um, Book of Mormon King. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, by all accounts, Ben Platt wasn't um, 49 years old whenever yeah, he was playing Evan Hansen on uh, stage. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see it. I recommend it. There's I really, really liked it. a lot it. of fucking... We mentioned it months ago, but a lot of fucking musicals coming out this year. Yeah. We have, Is this the fourth or the fifth one? So we had In the Heights, Dear Evan Hansen, now Tick, Tick, Boom. Cinderella. Oh, Christ. People want to forget Cinderella. I will not let them. And West Side Story. West Side My boy Story. Steve coming in hot. Don't doubt the man. I have a feeling West Side Story will not be the best one. Um, <laughs> just going out on a limb. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, do you think Ansel Elgort will give a better oh, performance no. than, uh, <laughs> than our boy Andrew here? Um, I have my doubts. I got I to gotta shout out my guy, Andrew Garfield, for going through this press tour promoting this movie and constantly being asked about Spider-Man mm. and just having to take I feel it. like that actually hurts his Oscar chances. Yeah. <laughs> like people like cannot take him seriously as an actor, which sucks. I love Andrew Garfield so much and he I wish that he'd never played Spider-Man. He's really good career. as Spider-Man for he as is. bad as those movies are. He's really good at it. No, yeah, he was good. It was just bad timing, but it's like it's just forever now the majority of people just see him as that. And meanwhile, my guy just keeps doing weird shit. Like he just is all the way out here just trying to do weird shit. He's like, yeah, I'm going to take all these like weird, really like difficult parts to play. I'm going to be in under the silver lake. I'm going to be in silence. All these, yeah. Silence. I'm going to have like Martin Scorsese abuse me on the beaches of Japan. I'm just going to do keep doing weird shit. I love this for him. I, I would love to see him in more musicals. I think he did a great job with the singing and I think he's very talented and I recommend the movie. So that's Tick, Tick, Boom. Let's get to the main event. Mm -hmm. House is a me of Gucci. A Gucci. Armando. Father, son, and house of Gucci. Our name. Our name. It's time, baby. Mm. We saw this movie early. Yeah. You scored the bag for those advanced tickets. I secured the bag. I almost Not, didn't make it in time. Literally, we're walking through the door and the trailers are starting to play and they're like, Turn off your voice. and I'm like, I'm so sorry. The logos are on the screen. We had to sit like so close to the screen. And you know what? Here's the thing. Was my neck a little bit tight this morning? Yes, it, it sure was from looking up at the screen. The towering big screen cinema 
It's how this movie should be seen. Yes. I'm so glad it's not going straight to streaming. Because you're in there. Two hours, so 45 minutes, you're in. We we should preface this by saying that um, early reviews for this movie were... All over the place. Kind of, for the most part, middling, yeah. I'd say at best. A lot of people were not super duper into it. A lot of people were not leather-pilled... Um, but people were just, you know, complained about the length, which it is. It's two hours and 40 minutes. It's a meaty boy that we're getting into mm-hmm. here. A lot of people were not into Jared Leto, kind of understandably so whenever we get whenever we're going to talk about him and what he's doing in this movie. Yeah. And, and the trailers. So we, we got a great trailer mm-hmm. with Heart of Glass by Blondie, like just such a good trailer. Jared Leto's barely in that trailer. Yeah. Like we see him for sure, but we don't <laughs> you see, see the poster him. of him first. And you're like, what kind of monstrosity figure is yeah. this man? Everybody's been on Twitter just talking about like how this character could have been played by like a Dustin Hoffman type, you know, like literally any like character actor, like pick a guy from from uncut gems to play this guy. Like, why do we have to cast Jared Leto to play a guy who looks like Paolo? And then we saw the movie and then he opens his mouth. He speaks and I, I lost my mind and I, I haven't recovered at this point. I'm still reeling as we're recording. So I, this is, it's a screener. Usually these things are very, they're a little bit staunchy. There's a little bit of kind of like, mm, yes, we're here watching film, uh, and people kind of take it very seriously. A lot of times there aren't there isn't clapping after the theater or anything like that. Um, the crowd was into it. The crowd was feeling everything Jared Leto said. I leaned over to you at one point whenever Jared Leto first came into the scene um, and he was wearing his uh, fucking what was it like a red corduroy suit that he busts <laughs> out in. And I looked over at you and I said, is this the greatest movie ever made? <laughs> And I said, what do you think? <laughs> you got to be a quiet and watch the movie. I so <laughs> listeners can probably tell. I know reception might be kind of mixed on this. This is like one of my favorite movies of the year. I think this movie is like fucking I don't care about the fl- this is one of those things where like you can tell me like, oh, it's too long. It's bloated as it these issues. I don't care. This movie was like one of the biggest thrills that I've had in so long yeah. in a movie theater. I for so much. I mean, pretty much like mostly because of Jared Leto. I was just in disbelief of what I was watching. I leaned over to you at one point. I was like, I, I can't believe this. I, I can't believe this. Just because like this movie starts out pretty slow, methodical. You know, mm-hmm. you're it does a really good job at setting it up. You know, you know, the brand of Gucci, you know, clothes, bags, apparel, accessories. Now, let's tell you the story of the family behind the brand. And it does a really good job at like patiently setting that up, introducing Adam Driver as Maurizio Gucci and Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga, pop superstar mm-hmm. in this movie. As Patrizia Reggiani. Mm-hmm. And we take our time with that. And we're kind of led to believe that this is going to be like a, 
a slow drama. Jeremy Irons is in there. Oh, you know, the king, the legend. Jeremy Irons fits. Yeah. Yeah, oh man, the they're gonna be something they're gonna be talked about in like history books. Just the, the scarves fits. alone, dude. Yeah, <laughs> my god. Uh, he plays Adam Driver's father. Um, he is one of the Gucci like patriarchs, uh, Rodolfo. Um, notably, not even attempting an Italian accent. Really. <laughs> I loved. He's like basically he's just doing Jeremy Irons. Yeah, he he must have had a conversation with Ridley, and he was like. I'm I'm good on that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna even try that. And Ridley's like, sure, yeah, you're you're Jeremy hey, Irons. Yeah, I'm not yeah. He's just like, yeah, you just you do you, Jeremy. <laughs> um, opposite him, his brother. Yeah. So yeah, before king. before we get uh Jared Leto, we get Al Pacino. Yeah, and Al Pacino goes kind of his. It's a little bit all over the place. His Italian, it kind of whenever he starts to go full Pacino, it kind of gets lost a little bit. It just kind of becomes Pacino. But, you know, it's I, I won't complain about Al Pacino in any movie. And then we get Jared Leto. And that's when this movie gets fully attacked. It gets it gets blasted. It gets injected. It gets infected. It's fuckers blasting out of the wall level fully. And it's it's a wild ride from there because like this i think this movie's fun partly because like everybody's trying to do something different everybody's trying to do a different kind of accent everybody's like just operating in their own fucking space trying to get this story through and i can i can tell why people don't like that you know because it's like this movie doesn't know what it is this movie wants to be like multiple movies at the same time every actor is in a different movie and i think that that's part of the fun i know i can i can tell i i totally understand why people think that that's a bad thing you know i totally see that argument i think that this movie definitely has some like uneven aspects to it but this movie's doing crazy shit. Yeah. It's doing crazy shit. And like, what other movie can you point to that has this kind of cast from one of the greatest directors of all time? And it's just doing absolute insane, insane shit from front to back. Obviously, not all of it works. Obviously, it doesn't all click. But it's so much better than the fucking bland shit we're used to getting from pretty much any other movie yeah no a hundred percent and i do kind of want to save talking about most of the plot for spoilers since this movie is like just coming out as you are listening to this it is being released Mm -hmm. um so and also i didn't know shit about the gucci story i don't know about you i saw adam driver i was like did Gucci just come around in like the seven? Like I had no fucking idea about the Gucci family yeah. and what was going it, on there. It so spans it's, a couple decades. Yes. It's like yeah. 74 to 95 or something yeah. like that. Um, so I'll save most of the specific thoughts about plot things and what worked and what didn't for whenever we do get into spoilers. But what I will say is uh, more than anything, 
this movie just made me happy for movie stars. Like this is just a true movie star movie that you just don't see anymore where it's just we're going to have the camera just on two of like the best fucking actors just acting their goddamn balls off and see their chemistry together. When Adam Driver and Lady Gaga are together, especially in the first two thirds of this movie, it is just dynamite. It is fireworks on the screen seeing the two of them together, especially Lady Gaga. She's really good. Um, This is the best performance I've seen this year. Like this is, I think just hands down. It's kind of, it's got a lot of showiness to it. And so I, there is that to kind of keep in mind, but like, as far as like, like she's my favorite for best actress right now. Wow. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I just, I was, I think that this kind of blows her performance in even something um, a few years ago, what we had out a of star the water with a star is born. You think this is better than a star is born? I think her performance is. I think her performance oh. is a lot more nuanced. Um, we'll kind of get into it in the spoilers, but the character that she's playing is like low key. It's really, really tricky for us to stay on her side throughout the entire movie. And I think that what she does with just being charming and kind of like weaseling her way into situations is so, so, so well done. It's it's really tough to compare this movie to a star is born. I think I mean, a better comparison of this movie is Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, this movie, it's it's more uneven than Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not going to as much as I love it. It's not on Wolf of Wall Street's level quality wise, but it's just a fucking blast, man. It's two hours and 40 minutes and it did not drag a second. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And it's interesting that this is like. Coming out during Oscar season. And that it's like being angled in in a certain kind of narrative that's reserved for a certain kind of movie. Because this movie doesn't it's almost like it was mismarketed in a weird way. I mean, I talked about the trailer and like how fun that was, but like. Uh, people i don't think people know what this movie is i think people just expect like a very very standard down the middle biopic about like this is a family it's it's very important yeah or at least like some kind of genre right like Mm -hmm. if it's not biopic like it's a crime movie or it's a comedy or it's a uh a satire it it in a way, it kind of is a satire. Yes. It's yeah, kind of I like think it's a, definitely it's got a lot of satirical. It's it's this things. weird blend. Mm-hmm. And I love movies like this that make me like take a step back and like not just have a quick take to like fire mm-hmm. up on letterbox immediately. And like, that's my opinion on the movie, period, end of story. Like, I'm still thinking about this movie and I and I want to see it again. Yeah. And I want to hear what other people think about it and get different perspectives and takes on it, because like this is not just one kind of movie. And again, I understand why that could be considered a bad thing, because people might feel like there's like competing angles, competing performances and tones and all of these things like packed in here. But it just feels so good. It feels so fresh. to have a movie like this that has like so many different kinds of things packed into it. And I, I, again, I respect your opinion. If you think that that's a bad thing, 
I could not disagree more. Yeah. I, I love the hell out of this movie. And I like at a certain point, you got to point out some objectively clunky things that we'll get to in spoilers with like how some story beats are, mm-hmm. are handled. But I mean, this movie just comes in with such a force once it gets going. You know, like I mentioned, it starts out really patient and slow and kind of lures you in into thinking it's one kind of movie. And then it just goes off into this fucking cliff. And then from there, it goes into outer space. Like you're just on this ride. And I can I can understand why people now might be on board for something like that. But sitting in that theater with a packed crowd, big movie, big screen. Loved it. Yeah. I, uh, so I said something to you after the theater, just kind of like this was going to be my hot take. And then as I looked into it, I think that this might be less and less of a hot take. I said, is this the best Ridley Scott movie of the 21st century? And you hear that and you say, whoa, whoa, hold the fuck up. Alien Covenant? So here here are the other nominees. So there's The Last Duel this year, which neither of us have seen yet. I really want to check out. I've heard pretty good things about it. Um, Heard that Ben Affleck is fucking unbelievable in it. Um, All the Money in the World. No. Alien Covenant. Absolutely not. The Martian. That's a nominee. Um, The Martian definitely has more of a central like thesis and tone. Like it has like more of a core to what it's trying to accomplish. And like everybody seems to be more on the same page with the Martian, but the Martian doesn't have like the unpredictable fucking Mm -hmm. manic energy. This movie movie has like so much Coke energy for not a single (laughs) drug being done throughout its entire runtime. Like what, you know what? I kind of like if this was a Martin Scorsese movie, then uh, our boy Paolo would have just been like fucking doing rails of Coke like yeah. all the time. It's like, no, we don't need that. We don't need an excuse for why why Jared Leto is doing this. I don't want that. Um, keep going. So The Martian, maybe that's a nominee. The Martian, I would say, is a more even movie, but I kind of agree with you. I was never the biggest Martian fan. I think Matt Damon's really good in it. It's a competent movie. Yeah, it's, it's a crowd a, pleaser. Exactly. Um, Exodus Gods and Kings. So, nope. Uh, The Counselor. Nope. Prometheus. Really like that movie, but a very, very, very flawed movie. Kind of. Also, I love it's it. Just so I love it despite itself. This. Like, that's, yeah, that's, that's the Ridley, two sides of Ridley. Yeah. Ridley's just like I'm gonna do my weird sci-fi thing. Right now, he's gonna make a fucking alien and a Blade Runner TV show. Is another thing that was announced this week. Um, Robin Hood 2010. Absolutely not. Uh, Body of Lies. No. American Gangster. Hey, man. Body of Lies. <laughs> I'm just moving right past Body of Lies. Um, American Gangster is another nominee. I have not seen this movie in a very, very long time. I, I remember enjoying it. I catch it, it on, on cable, on, on TV a couple times, and it just... It was a movie that was a victim of coming out in the year 2007, where like three of the greatest movies yeah. of the 21st century came out so that kind of sucks for it uh and then kingdom of heaven matchstick men which we discussed here on this podcast black Good hawk movie. Da- black hawk down hannibal gladiator so i, I guess this the, is at least in the top three or four yeah I, like I guess at the, least the main ones you could make the argument for are obviously gladiator 
uh, best picture winner. Yeah, probably Matchstick Men as well. I pr- I'll probably put that up there. I remember really liking Kingdom of Heaven. Um, I haven't revisited in a while, but I remember really, really liking it. I remember that movie being very blue. Yeah. Kind of like it looks honestly, the color palette looks very similar to the last duel that just came out. And maybe Prometheus. I don't know. I know a lot the, of people hate Prometheus, but a lot yeah. of people love it. It's a very, very divisive movie. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting question. It's definitely I'd probably put it in the top three, I think. For sure. I mean, this movie, it it is definitely not what I thought it was going to be Mm -hmm. at all. I really thought that, like, you know, Ridley Scott is like fucking a 80 year old man, however old he is. Um, He was born in 1937. So that's he's almost 80. Um, Wait, how does that math work out? Yeah. No, wait, no, he's he's in his 80s. Wait, is that right? 2021. Jesus Christ. I can't. 1937 <laughs> is 84. Yeah, he's in his mid 80s. Scott is he's 84. in his mid 80s. That's why I like you said it, he's almost and then you said the age. And I was like, wait, that's not right. Oh, no, he's 83. He's actually going to turn 84 on the 30th and a week from today. Happy, Happy early, early birthday, birthday, Ridley. You still fucking got it, King. Still fucking got you it. You still dude. got it. Like it's it's unbelievable. Like <laughs> yeah. I really thought I was like, yeah, you know, I heard last duel was good, but like, come on. Like, can this guy really like operate at any type of level that is worth noting? And I don't know. He probably has help because filmmaking is a very collaborative industry. And these actors need to be lauded for their performances. Uh, we've shouted out most of the cast. Um, pretty much everybody of no, I know Sama Hayek is in there as well. And there's a mm-hmm. bunch of other like, you know, kind of character actors thrown in there. Um, written by Becky Johnson and Roberto Bentivegna. Um Neither of them have really done like this is their first really, really big thing that they've done um becky johnson has worked on a couple of um prince under of the tides movie. dude oh prince of tides <laughs> oh, there you go hey but uh but yeah i just assumed like you know ridley there's no way that he's gonna deliver something great he's he's a very old man and there's no way and this movie surprised the hell out of me yeah surprised the hell out of me and and I know it has its haters. I know that there's things, there's holes you can poke in it. But just again, just sitting there in that theater, it just got to me, dude. It just fucking got to me. And the the accents, the clothes, the cars, the 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 fucking sets and the locations cuz they shot in some real locations. Yeah. Uh <sighs> ski slopes, uh, beautiful European locales. Um, Give this movie all works. the set and costume and production design. It just, moms. dude, the costumes, man. God, I. <sighs> the before fits. we get to, dude, the fits in this movie are outrageous. Like, this made me want to go home, throw away <laughs> my entire wardrobe, take out like five credit cards, and then just like completely reinvent myself as a new man of fashion. That's. Mostly Jeremy Irons, uh, but just everybody. I'm driver, dude. Dude, 
Adam Driver's turtlenecks that just a man made for a turtleneck right there. Nobody has ever looked so good covering up their long ass fucking neck like Adam Driver does. Is Adam Driver like even close to being an Italian man? (laughs) No, not at all. Look at that man. He is so not Italian, but who cares? Are there any like moderately? I guess Al Pacino is like the only like moderately. Salma Hayek. She's Mexican, dude. I thought she was like uh, Mexican Italian mixed for some reason. For some reason, I thought that she did have some European. Maybe I'm wrong there. I just Ridley's like I don't care. <laughs> um, I will say I don't care if he's not Italian American or not Italian. Excuse me. I am making a petition right now, a, a GoFundMe to replace Chris Pratt as Mario and mm. put in Jared Leto. Uh, I mean, he looks the part in this movie. <laughs> Really? Just put a hat on him. If you like made a live action Mario and you made like really fucked up like Mario at the end of his days, it would look like it would look like Jared Leto. Adam Driver has Dutch, English, German, Irish, and Scottish. Yeah, man's got like big German German Irish energy. Not Italian. What about Gaga? Let's see, Gaga, uh, born in New York, Catholic family, so some kind of. <laughs> So, Roman yeah, you know. roots there. Depend if you're willing to go back far enough, then yeah, sure. Um yeah, I I, I don't know, man. It, it, maybe one person in this cast is, is there some gonna kind be 23 and do me. you think that somebody like this movie is gonna get canceled in the same way that uh some other things do for lack of inclusivity? Is there gonna be a lack of inclusivity from the Italian community? I wouldn't be surprised. Um, oh wait no 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 it says okay according to wikipedia both of her parents have italian ancestry (laughs) how deep we going so (laughs) are these like great 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 grandparents or what are we talking here (laughs) i mean she she channels it and i i want to get to spoilers because there's some things about the way she kind of tackles this performance you kind of were talking about it earlier but like it's really it's a difficult thing to do and where it lands it's kind of tricky so any final thoughts spoiler free before we get to spoilery um i mean i just i really really love this movie i want people to see it it's it's hard to like prep people for this movie Mm -hmm. because it's not a comedy it's very like most of the movie is dramatic there's just some very funny parts mostly involving leto but just in general um driver and gaga have a couple of like really good moments with each other it is still a costume drama kind of biopic but it has so much more life to it than so many of these movies that we see every year we see a movie like this get shat out every year and most of the time they just feel soulless right and in general a lot of ridley scott's movies over the last 10 ish years or so have felt kind of soulless that was kind of my problem with alien covenant was i thought it was okay in the theater and it sat really badly in my head just because i kind of just thought about it like oh you kind of even if it didn't all land you opened up the box and you tried to explore some ideas in prometheus and alien covenant was just like now let's see some aliens just fucking get some epic kills Mm -hmm. and like it just felt a little bit cheap to me that movie and it's it's interesting because he's been really coming out here on the press tour between this and the last duel talking a whole bunch of shit about marvel movies yeah and He's kind of hit on one of the things about 
Marvel movies, which is they feel very robotic most of the time that you could just uh, they feel like a studio shat them out and you don't feel a vision behind it. This is a movie that has a vision behind it. This is a movie that was made by a human being and you can feel all the touches that he tried to embellish with this. Um, I will also say that for the first hour of this movie, I was like, is Jared Leto giving the worst performance of his <laughs> of like the worst performance I've ever seen in my life? He is a half step away from just being a Kyle Mooney character. It's and unbelievable. I really could not tell if he was in on the joke. And then by the end of the movie, it becomes very clear that not only is he in on the joke, that Ridley Scott's in on the joke and is just fully willing and it's, happy to just let it just sit on him. It's I, a sight to behold. We and I can't. I I hate Jared Leto. Like I hate him as a person mostly. I'm yeah. not a big fan of his acting. I hate like Dallas Buyers Club is extremely extremely problematic win that is one of the worst aging wins of of the Oscars for yeah. the last 10 years. Tough. I've never been a big fan of that guy in really anything. You're, and, you're a big 30 seconds to Mars head though. Well, I am this. big 30 seconds to Mars head. I mean, yeah. you know, killing was, me killing me. Hey, that whole album, straight fucking banger. Um, but yeah, no, dude, it's a beautiful lie. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, he won me over in a way that I did not think was possible at this stage of his career. Yeah, it's, it's, and I'm still a little bit conflicted about I, how much, about how much I loved him in this movie. I'm like, God, no, I hate that guy. Why do I, why is he so goddamn charming in this it's movie? It's just, it's tough to put words to it. <laughs> it's just one of those things that you just you just have to see it to believe it. And I am still kind of flabbergasted about it <laughs> sitting here today, about 24 hours after experiencing it. And I I need to sit on it more. And again, I want to see it again because it's it's honestly like shocking. It's shocking how long he's in the movie, how many mm-hmm. scenes he has and how it it kind of infects the movie. Like you can't get that energy out. You can't wash it out. Once you introduce it, it's like a wine stain Yeah, on this beautiful fabric that you just can't get out. And eventually it starts to seep into everybody else's performances, whether they want to or not. And that's kind of like where I'm at with this movie, where like, I think that, it is a little bit of a detriment to the dramatic side of this movie to have a character like Paolo, like like uh, Leto in this movie to mm-hmm. kind of be so wacky, so insane that it just throws the fucking equilibrium off completely that the movie never recovers from it. But I kind of love it for that. Yeah. I, and I wouldn't have it any other way because what's the alternative? You have this nice like drama about a family that like has troubles and there's like money and like crime and they dress nice. Yeah. No, and then you, what? It's you are right. Like you, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head that like his performance does kind of take away from the dramatic elements of this movie. But I think that that as a whole makes it just a better movie overall. Like it's better that it's not just pure drama. I like if this was two hours and 40 minutes and there was no humor in this movie. Oh, so have been a fucking drag. I would have been like the performances are undeniably good. Yes, there is that that they are 
movie stars. They're going to do their best to kill it, but it wouldn't have had the same energy. It would have had the same soul. All right. So if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It's only in theaters right now. Um, I really, really recommend you How go do see you think it. this movie's going to do in theaters? We can do a little bit of predictions because this movie, it's coming out on holiday weekend. Encanto is a big yes. uh, detractor, but it's it's kind of Encanto's counter- get, Well, Encanto is getting the families. This movie, like you aren't taking your fucking niece to go see House of Gucci. Right. It's kind of counter programming to that, um, which I'm kind of shocked that there's nothing else. So it's kind of it kind of has like the field a little bit. Mm hmm. Uh-huh. Well, because also um, even something like Ghostbusters isn't really getting the um, millennials just going in by themselves on dates and stuff like that. That's a family movie. So that's getting the same market as Encanto. Yeah. So this really does kind of have that adult, young adult demo to itself, at least for this week. And I believe going into next week, we're going to start getting some slow rollouts of Oscar movies, but... Yeah, I, I'm trying to look it up right now. I mean, obviously, Encanto is probably going to do really, really well, maybe well enough to, um, you know, because it's a long weekend. Uh, so if they take into account, like, not just Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but like kind of the whole mm-hmm. Thanksgiving holiday, um, we could see Encanto kind of coming in in the 40 mil range do we think um and then House resident evil welcome to raccoon city is going to take away some yeah yeah that might actually be <laughs> everybody all my all my homies are typed for welcome to raccoon city so so the tracking for gucci right now is around the 20 mil range which is solid i mean obviously we're still in a in a very like pandemic kind of times the movie does have a 75 million dollar budget so if it opens at 20 it is gonna struggle a little bit to get to that um but i could see it i could see it getting especially this you know, is overseas. also kind of it's also playing for an awards love like it's playing for it's gonna be re-released in january after it gets a bunch of nominations like that's what it's really going for also just looking at the release schedule nothing's coming out next week either things are starting to come out in limited release but the only wide release that's coming out on december 3rd is wolf hmm. you hyped for wolf no from the people who brought you uh lamb and pig Wolf. Dog, you see dog. dog Channing Tatum. <laughs> Jesus Christ, um, we gotta, we need to fucking stop, guys. Like these I'm, one I'm word team, animal titles. I'm team first cow. I look honestly, first cow. It it was first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I could see this movie. I don't know. This movie's kind of tough to predict because it is long, but also like we aren't. We're plugged into a different type of Twitter and Instagram. Um, Lady Gaga is like the biggest thing in the world. Like it was right. kind of like how the importance of putting Zendaya and all the marketing for Dune because Zendaya is bigger than life itself. There's going to be people who are going out of all ages just to see Lady Gaga is in a new movie. Yep. And so that, right. you cannot underestimate that. And because of that, I think this movie's going to have really good legs. I could see this movie might not make the full 75 back, but I think it'll easily crack 60. And just the 50, fact 60. that she's really fucking good in it. Yes. Like that'll kind of carry yeah. it too. like people will say like, hey, you should go see this movie because she she's is incredible. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I, we we're kind of doing a whole like awards show check in right now. We haven't seen Spencer, which is. Kristen Stewart is the other like big top dog right now who she is capital R running mm-hmm. uh, 
Princess Diana. Heavy contender for uh, her performance as Princess Diana. But Lady Gaga is she going to be there? Let me just tell you right now. Just go ahead and lock that in. Go ahead and lock that nomination in right now. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's a great performance. I think it's a great performance. I think I'm still kind of stewing on it and I'm, and I'm going to kind of express some of that, you know, trepidation and, and spoilers. But I do think she's really, really great. Um, I, I don't know if it's like Oscar great, especially just because I know what they like, know what they look for when it comes to things like this. And I don't see a performance like this snagging it, especially like it's Jared Leto. Does Jared Leto get nom? Oh, man. (laughs) I don't know. I I want it. I think it's too. I think it might be too much, which I would love nothing more than a Jared Leto nomination. But I I might be just too zany for the Academy. I think I'll just be happy with a nomination at all when it comes to just this anything movie. yeah because I, I, kind of I don't see it it's gonna anything. get costume it's it's like this has to be the favorite for costume i mean my god the fits in this movie you cannot say enough about do they is costume in gold derby can i oh it is let's see what we got cruella is probably high out are you fucking, fucking kidding me? kill me if cruella wins costume design over house of gucci yeah it's well then then it's house of gucci then spencer then dune hey dune yeah i love i love brown and blacks and then nightmare alley that's the other big one yeah nightmare alley is uh is is uh gonna struggle to get any attention with spider-man coming out they're going to grab different markets. Yeah, they're going to they're getting completely, completely different demos. Um, do you want to get into spoilers? Yeah. Spoilers for House of Gucci starting right now. This is your last chance. Let's talk some. Where should we start? OK, so I guess maybe the best place to start is kind of this through line of Patricia mm-hmm. entering this family with this ulterior motive yes of coming from not a lot of wealth and from like kind of like a lower class in Milan and aspiring to be one of the wealthy class yeah I, she is introduced to the story there's no ifs ands or buts about it like She's introduced as a snake. She's introduced as a gold digger who's trying to. The first time that she ever meets um, Adam Driver's Maurizio is at a club. She's on a date with another dude, realizes that this guy is Maurizio Gucci and just dips that. We never see see him ever again. She's dead to him or he's dead to her because that's what she's here for is that she's trying to marry up. The way that she kind of she's introduced as the snake and you kind of understand where Rodolfo Maurizio's father is coming from when he's just like, look, I know her. She's trying to just Mm -hmm. get in. She's a little weasel. She's trying to sneak her way into this family. You're kind of on his side. And then you spend so much of the movie like that. You kind of forget that she's just like sneaked. She snuck her way into the family. Mm -hmm. She's just this little snake is just sitting there the whole time. It's the same thing that she does to Adam Driver. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about her arc kind of mirrors the 
plot of the movie in a lot of ways that she sneaks her way in there in the very beginning and right. you forget that she's there for so long you forget that she's an outsider reasonable way in there yeah. until the very end yes that's a great way to put it and i i think that that's kind of where my my thoughts are kind of stewing is like how well the movie like executes that idea because like the the patricia we get at the back half of this movie is almost an entirely different character yeah. because we kind of fall in love with her in a weird yeah. way. We kind of, along with Maurizio, we're kind of like along for the ride of this beautiful woman, like just, just being like this intoxicating presence. And he doesn't really want anything to do with the business. And she's the one that kind of, pushes him to get really involved in the Gucci business. And he does it. He at one point, like fully is disowned by his father mm -hmm. and is like completely cut out from the business. And then because of her, he becomes a major player in the business. Also, thanks to uncle uh, Al Pacino. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Aldo. Aldo. Um, so that's a great dynamic there. That's, that's a good little stretch of the movie there where mm -hmm. like you go from, they want to get married and run away together and never look back to, okay, now you're helping run Gucci and the movie kind of takes its time and it has like multiple scenes of just conversations between these three characters you know, uh, Patricia, Maurizio and Aldo. And each scene just kind of advances that through line just a little bit more and a little bit more. And I love that about this movie, mm. how like it manages to have like these beats that don't feel repetitive, but they are kind of like the same scene multiple times. Yeah. But each time you're getting just a little bit closer, you're inching a little bit closer and you got to keep in mind, this is a big story told over a huge amount of time. So these scenes are probably set like, you know, maybe months or years apart. And ever so slightly, she's weaseling her way in and you forget. You're right. You forget. You forget. And and sooner or later, you're just like peaking with like her and Maurizio running this business Maybe not running this business, but like living the 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 fullness and the richness and the yeah. wealth of the business. Yeah. And that's kind of like where the movie just like it just fools you. It fools you into thinking it's it's this epic, beautiful love story. And then when we start to come towards the end. Their marriage falls apart. And Maurizio goes away with this woman that he meets at the ski slopes and he doesn't want anything to do with Patricia, but she still wants the money and yeah. the riches. And that's the character that we end up with. The character that plots to murder him <laughs> has him killed. So I, did you know this? Because this is a real thing that actually yeah. happened. Gunned down. I, I had heard that somebody died. 
I did not I, know. I Putin. thought that he died. I thought I vaguely remembered that from the uh, American Crime Story Versace. Yeah, because that's right around ish this same right. time that there was like, oh yeah, Gucci was also killed. Didn't know that he was killed by his fucking ex wife. That's mm-hmm. I had no idea about that until this movie. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's crazy because we get a couple scenes around that kind of back portion where she is like unhinged. She's like losing her mind, trying to claw her way back to this man and this family. And I'm still thinking about those scenes because it's like, at this point we've gotten so much time with fucking Jared Leto, just like just scoring buckets, you know, just Mm -hmm. going in that it has like pulled us so far from this like dramatic story of these two beautiful people falling in and out of love. And we're getting Gaga like doing this, this heartbreaking performance where she's like so sad, but also like just really obsessed and can't Mm -hmm. let it go full on, like almost stalker mode. Yes. And it's, it's tough to pin down exactly like how those scenes land because it's, once you you are you've sat through so much of this movie where you're laughing your ass off at every line that Jared Leto says and some lines that Al Pacino and Adam Driver said just because like the, the accents are so crazy like you just can't help yourself and then you end up with Patricia like crying her eyes out it's tough to like switch yeah your mind immediately to like okay let's sit in this heartbreak Let's sit in this drama. But Gaga, that's the thing about the performance, isn't it? Mm -hmm. She's kind of doing both at the same time. She is. You're right that she is doing both. I think that like kind of most notable about her performance, one of the lines that I've been thinking about the most is right at the very end of the movie. It's right whenever she has she has uh Mauricio killed and is going back to the home and sees um Silvana who is the woman who Mauricio ran away with uh in the slopes and she just kind of comes in and she hugs her and they're both crying and you think like oh this is like a real moment of like there's there's a compassion. lot of there's a lot of compassion there's a lot of regret here of like what have I done I've really messed up and then she hugs her for a second and she says, like, security, will you please get Miss Reggiani out of my home? <laughs> Which is and that's like snaps you right back. It's that same. This movie kind of has like a rubber band. Yeah. A- aesthetic to it. And that kind elastic. of that. It's very elastic in yeah. its tone in that same way that you feel like, oh, my God, there's a real sense of compassion here. And then just like that, you're like. Oh no, you're a fucking dog. Like you were just out. You were just always here. You never signed those papers. So this is your house. This is all your money and your wealth. Mm -hmm. And now you get to live alone as the queen. And there's, there's a certain, I mean, obviously Jared Leto is just like, he's not a real person. He's playing a cartoon character in this movie. (laughs) Like just flat out. Like he is just on another plane, but there is this quality to a lot of the performances where it is like it is very theatrical, like these people, they're not playing real humans, even though there are a lot of moments of humanity and we connect 
on an emotional level with a lot of these characters. Like the way the movie is put together and the way these performances are calibrated, there is this like heightenedness to mm-hmm. it that I think is really good. Like I kind of I kind of love that about yeah. movies, how they're able to you're kind of able to do both things where you're able to get like, OK, this is the real person. You know, this is the real story. This is what happened. Yada, yada. But also like this is a this is not reality. This is a crazy, wacky version of reality. And. I I love I love, love, love that Gaga is able to do both at the same time. It's kind of like earlier when we were talking about succession. Tom, Tom Wozniak's. Yeah. Matthew McFadden, like the perfect example of that, like in the same performance, sometimes in the same scene, you get both. And that is so difficult to do. Yeah. To do the broad and the, the high and the low, the broad and the precise and the measured. It's so difficult. And I don't think it works 100 percent of the time. You know, like the whole unraveling of the marriage. I think that for as long as this movie is, that could have been given a little bit more time. Yes. But I, I also I, think that there is a point to that. I think that, that Ridley, it kind of it just just like it's literally it's one fight and then that's it. Like just right. the marriage was never the same after that. And it was, you know, it was something that seemed very abrupt in the theater. And now I'm trying to like I really want to see this movie again because I want to see like the little like study, the little looks that Adam driver gives lady Mm. Gaga whenever she's the one like leading a conversation with Aldo or whenever she's like, see if it's just these little moments that have just kind of started to compile and compile and compile until there literally is just one blow up, one explosion of everything. His, his performance is interesting because it is very quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously Gaga is the one that's kind of going big and loud and expressive and driver just, I mean, we've seen him, be big and loud. I mean, look at like most of his other performances yeah. where he's fucking like just this behemoth just screaming. He doesn't really do that in this movie. I don't think he has a scene where he kind of explodes as he's done in other roles. Um, he is this playing this, this more kind of meek guy. And I think that's really interesting for him because it's like, yeah, you got to look at those details. You got to find those moments where it's like, on the surface, it might seem like he's just kind of maybe staying quiet, maybe spacing out, but maybe he's got a twinkle in his eye where he's mm-hmm. like, eh, I don't know about you. There is one scene in particular that I'm thinking of earlier on that kind of made me want to even in the theater. I was like, it was later on in the movie. It's whenever um, it's the two of them are sitting down outside at a table with um, who's the other uh, guy who works as Rodolfo's like assistant um, who ends up playing a key part in the movie. Um, yeah, he's like the lawyer. He's like the family lawyer. Yes. That guy was great. Um, Jack Hudson plays a uh, Dominico de Sol. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. This is the guy. Um, it's just kind of a scene with the two of them together where like. Adam Driver is like walking away from the table before he does. He like kind of looks back a little bit like he just kind of knows that like they're going to talk whenever I'm away from this table. Yeah. About like what it's like being an outsider in here and this this family of extravagance and this movie really. I mean, I mentioned Wolf of Wall Street, which is kind of the 10,000 view, 10,000 foot view of what the uh, comparison is that you'd make of this story. 
in reality, the movies are very, very different from each other, but both of them really like just really thrive in the extravagance of it all in the wealth in the lavishness this isn't a movie that's trying to show any hum humbleness to it whatsoever like it is completely owning itself and it just kind of the keeps excess. leveling up more and more with that excess that we just start with just uh you know he's just in in a nice library they have like a meet cute he's just doing his best you know working with some trucks playing football with some yeah. just some some They're guys spraying out of water on each other. <laughs> <laughs> there's some moments I, like that where it's like there's no way that this is being played straight like this movie knows mm -hmm. exactly what it's doing I was, it's, it's like wacky i really love like even up until the Jared Leto till he comes introduced in this movie. I was like, it it's more familiar. It's playing a more familiar movie, but it's even doing that so well, their chemistry together right. immediately. Cause it's even in those scenes, it's like a forced meat cute. Yeah. It's not really a meat cute. Fucking Lady Gaga is out there stalking him yeah. and like looking at where he is just trying to get like the a library chance. with the books. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I was losing my mind. That was so funny. Dude, it's it's just these moments throughout this entire movie of just like parasitic. Yeah. Again, it's it's elastic. Like mm. it's it's really impressive. It's really fucking impressive for it to be. Again, both. It's both. It's hilarious and dark and tragic and funny. And like, I mean, we got it. We got to get to Jared Leto. I don't, I don't know what else we could say about this guy. Like I said earlier, like. You got to see it to believe it. I don't I don't even know how to describe it. This guy, he's doing the craziest accent I've ever heard in my life. Oh, oh no, oh, it's. That's a mod design. His scene. With Jeremy Irons. With Jeremy Irons. The way that Jeremy Irons is playing it. Like, I the don't know. The way the camera moves. I don't in. know how Jeremy Irons is dying off. And then he starts degrading Jared Lowe. And Jared Leto's his lip is literally like trembling. It's the most over traumatized trembling lip ever. It's and just meanwhile, he's just like degrading him and saying that like you have no taste you are the most <laughs> mediocre human being to ever a triumph exist of mediocrity. a triumph of mediocrity i was mouth on the floor yeah. while this was happening yeah his the way it's just like browns and pastels <laughs> There's there's so many gold I, moments like that, man. Fuck, man. It's, it's just so it's so good. Like this it just rocks. I'm so glad that we did get a scene of Al Pacino losing it because mm. Al Pacino made his fucking made his nut on being the Jared Leto type character in a movie that just comes in and just injects <laughs> so much life and character into a role. And the fact that he is playing uh, Jared Leto's father who's just the most overacting that an actor can possibly be and then he got that one moment where he finds out Jared Leto sold his shares he's like no no <laughs> what no we love to see it you're an idiot but you're my idiot yeah uh, and it's tender yeah you're like oh man it's, father it's son like a, moment aw. but after you're like dying <laughs> I think this I think this is a legendary movie I think this is a special movie. I I am so curious 
to see what people think about it. I cannot wait to see all the takes. Uh, I feel like we're going to be in the minority. I just have a feeling now that people won't get it. And I want people to. I just want people to experience the joy that I had while watching. Yeah, no, we were were talking to a friend of the pod, Adam, on our our, uh, chat, our group chat. And he said he wasn't the biggest fan of it. He's like, yeah, it was okay. Which I feel like is going to be most people's takes. Most people are just going to be like, oh, yeah, that was okay. Some good performances. Adam's usually the one to be like partial to most to most movies. And he were higher on this one than him. I I was shocked. So I'm I'm so excited to see what people think about it. And I got to say, it's it's pretty high up on my my top 10. So I think we'll talk about it again at the end of year. Yeah, I haven't. I need to do some work in my top 10. I have a bunch of movies I have not added on there. Um, I usually for the most most of the year, I was kind of adding them as I watched. But lately, I've been trying to like stew on a movie a little bit more right. before I put it on the list. Um, I've been I've just been moving mine around like like crazy. Let's 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 have a little talk about this right before we uh, we wrap up. So famously last uh Lissomania. you, you put, dragged me through the coals because you put a movie that did not come out that year yes yeah. um for that for, is correct for putting uh portrait of a lady on fire as my number a one 2019 release but see the thing is hunter sound of metal was also a 2019 release first cow was also a 2019 re- release and those were somehow more fair game than portrait of a lady on fire I, what, and now because of point? the pandemic we're in a situation where we have movies like Minari and Nomadland that uh, came out in 2020, but were not released fully until 2021. I, they were still they they were on our list in 2020. They were 2020 movies. They were seen. They were considered by the Academy for a 2020 movie year. Other other movies I will, that came out in one, 2020 that um, didn't get released fully until 2021. Zola. A24. I'll consider that a 2021 movie. Shiva Baby. I'll consider that a 2021 movie. I'm just saying. There's. So there is a line. No, but like, say, so something like, because the line is a little bit tricky. Portrait of the Empire is just like, there's not a doubt about it. It was just 100% a 2019 movie. It got very notably uh, not nominated by France to be nominated for best foreign film and it was a big deal because people are like what the fuck is wrong with you france this movie's perfect um so something like judas and the black messiah is a 2021 release that movie was considered part of the 2020 film year quote unquote but it came out in february people did not see it until february i mean that's also just because the pandemic just fucked everything up yeah so no yeah that but my point here is that there's a couple movies that are like in this limbo state Right. So movies that are kind of on on straddling the cutoff. Right. So Minari, Nomadland, Zola and Shiva Baby are all kind of in that like were released in 2020, but didn't get actually fully seen until 2021. The thing is, though, is those are four movies taking up space on my list. That could you go. can remove Nomadland and Minari. Those were on our list in 2020. That four slots that could go to here's here's movies that have yet to come out. Here, here's okay. a list of movies that have yet to come out that could end up 
on our best ofs. Licorice Pizza. Matrix Four. Gonna go ahead and reserve a spot in the top ten, top five for Licorice Pizza at this point. Probably good. Just go ahead and put a spot to the side for that one. Tragedy of Macbeth. Don't look up. Encanto. Red Rocket. West Side Story. Come on, come on. The Power of the Dog. Ugh. Nightmare Alley. Ugh. Like that's ten movies right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the top ten list right there, just in itself. Even Hopefully. movies, even movies that we haven't seen, like Tatan or um. Spencer, you know, that are kind of trickling out like I'm in I'm in a weird spot right now where like I want to recognize some of these like limbo movies, but there's things like right on the on the horizon that I know I know I'm going to love. It's tough, tough. man. This is. This is shaping up to be a really good movie year. Between this and next year, just because of all the shit that got moved last year, this and next year are looking like we're gonna we're gonna be eating good for the next month. I'm like kind of stressed about how many like good movies are coming out because of how much time. Right. I mean, I'm I'm happy. It's the best kind of stress you can possibly have. But man, do we have a date on when Licorice Pizza is coming to Orlando yet? Because not yet, buddy. Oh, oh, buddy. Not yet. I think. It'll be it won't be 22. It'll be like December. It'll be like late yeah. December because yeah. that's when we got um, Phantom Thread. I'm yeah, I think sure. we got we got Phantom Thread. What the week before Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. So probably something, something like, like that, that again. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Red Rocket. Don't know when we're getting that, but man, I cannot fucking wait for Red Rocket. I heard I, that one might be till 2022. Yeah. Um. I just, I heard that that movie, whenever I heard that people booed and walked out on it, it can, I was like, fuck yes, give this shit to me immediately. All right. Well, that is House of Gucci and all the other prestige things that we talked about today. Uh, let us know what you thought of them. Let us know um, if we missed anything, any big takeaways that you had from any of these King Richard, Succession, Belfast, Tick, Tick, Boom. Let us know what you thought of uh, the the House of Gabagool and the, mm-hmm. the, the epic Leto performance. Did you think it was good? Do you think it was bad? Are we crazy? Let us know. Hit us up. Uh, Webottomike at gmail.com and uh, at Webottomike on social media. Um, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can also send in a voice message or donate at anchor.fm slash we bought a mic. Um, have a happy holiday. Enjoy yourself. Eat lots of turkey mm-hmm. or ham. Or, or like a better meat, you know tenderloin get some fried chicken that's fried what we chicken. do yeah there you go yeah Just, i i do you have a favorite thanksgiving food um my brother is actually going to make some really delicious stuff so i don't know what he has in mind i wow. think it's i think it's gonna be some kind of beef some kind of beef thing like a tenderloin <laughs> or something oh, that sounds like good. that i yeah. you know it's fine i'm i'm a sides guy I just like, you know, I like the meats and stuff like that. But like Thanksgiving, my favorite thing is the sides. Just like give me the homemade mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, sweet potato casserole, mac and cheese, green bean casserole. You're right. Some pies. That is the good shit. I'm going to eat a disgusting amount in a couple of days. I hope that you do as well. 
hit us up with any of your uh, favorite Thanksgiving foods and uh, please stay safe and healthy out there. Uh, get that third vax. Oh, yeah. If you're able to. And uh, then after that, we'll be back finally with the return of our Robin Williams series. We promise. We promise we'll return back to it. But there's so many good new movies coming out. We got to talk about them. Yeah. We got to, got to talk about them. So thank you for listening. See you next time. We love you. Bye bye. Gabagoo.